things look a little different as you walk in. The, the Christmas tree is gone. The, the nativity scene is not out in the front. Things are different because for us, in many respects, Christmas is over. Just one illustration of that was when Brent came and welcomed you and said, Merry Christmas. And nobody knew what to say because we moved on, right? It's, oh, wait a minute. It's New Year. No. It's my hope. It's my, it's my encouragement that as we move past this time, you know, when the decorations are being taken down and, and packed away, the gifts have been given, the parties have been had, you can find Christmas trees strewn across the street through, you know, because that's where we live. Instead of taking them and doing something, we just throw them in a ditch. I almost hit two already. I, it's just the thing is, is that Christmas for us is, is over, but I want us, I want us to not flee so fast from Christmas. I want us to not flee so fast from the celebration that really, just as Matt was sharing just a minute ago, really is the central piece of our joy, our hope, our reason for being. And I think maybe instead we should take hold of the truth of Jesus coming to us and and take hold of the hope of His coming one day for us and make it our daily foundation. Whether it's in celebration or in difficulty, really, Really, no matter what this coming year holds for you, your hope is in the truth that Jesus came and that Jesus is coming again. And so I hope as we, as we move into this that, that we won't just quickly move away from the coming, the celebration of our coming Savior and King, but that, that, that we'll make our entire year, our entire existence, and, and our entire purpose to, to be wrapped around that, to be to be founded on that, to, to grow out of that. Even Paul's words here, in, in which is a context which you wouldn't normally attach with Christmas. I mean, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a passage, it's not two verses that we read at Christmas time. It's not the normal, normal context, Christmas and Paul praying and, and offering up this doxology at the end of his prayer. Even these words here, though, if you read it and look at what he's saying, even here in the context... This is only possible. These high and lofty words from Paul are only possible because Jesus came to us. Because Jesus has a plan to come back for us. He has has a purpose in mind. And because of Jesus, not only is His purpose about us, but our purpose gets to be about Him. He has a mission for us, something for us to do, something for us to be a part of. Something bigger and more meaningful and much more lasting than just what we might give ourselves to apart from Him. These two lines of praise from Paul, they close out the first half of the letter of Ephesians. Paul has been teaching, really. In fact, there's, it's, it's actually kind of interesting because when you really look at the, the letter and when, when you begin to, to read it together, you, you see Paul offer up this, these words of worship. He gives his introduction, a standard introduction, and he offers up these words of worship where he's just compounding praise upon praise upon praise and all that God has done. And then he moves to a prayer, his first prayer in Ephesians, and it closes out chapter 1. But he never really stops praying. He just kind of starts teaching out of the prayer. He never comes to a close in his prayer. He just kind of starts teaching out of what he's just been praying about. And then he immediately goes back, before he moves on from where he's at, he immediately goes back to a prayer. So it's like this first half of, of, of Ephesians is really about Paul praying and saying, hey, I'm praying this. I want you to understand what I'm praying. And here I'm going to pray some more. You see, Paul, is he's, he's consistently looking for God's work and he's looking at Jesus Christ for the answer for that. And Jesus Christ coming and Jesus and, and the work that he's done and, and, and what he's made possible through Jesus. 
But to the point, to this point in the letter, Paul hasn't once asked us to do anything. He hasn't said, all right, readers, people who are listening to this, people who I sent this to, he's not at once said, all right, now you need to do this. And I think it's important that we recognize that because I think first and foremost, we need to realize that who we are, what we're about, what we're going to be about, what, what causes us to celebrate, what enables us to endure, what, what, what makes us ready for the struggles of life is not what we can do, but what has been done for us. See, as we move away from Christmas, that's oftentimes moving on to a new year and making resolutions, right? What am I going to do different this year? New year, new me. That's not really how it goes. New year, new you. I guess is how, how it's said. What am I going to do to improve myself? What am I going to do to make myself better? And, and before we even get to that point, before we even get to that place, I think the call is to remember not what we can do, but what's been done for us. You see, this whole letter, the, the, the whole beginning of this letter is, is Paul praying and, and asking that God would enable his readers, his listeners, and, and that entails us, extends to us. It, he's, he's asking that God would make us able to know what he's done. I mean, it's God that's been doing the work all along. He blesses. That's in chapter 1. He predestines in chapter 1. He adopts. He gives an inheritance. He provides knowledge and wisdom. He saves. He seats us with Christ in, in, in the heavenlies. He makes us alive. He brings us near. He makes us citizens. He provides us purpose. He gives us mission. He does these things. That's what the entire first half of this letter has been about, is, is explaining God's work. We've been calling it His gracious rebellion. This, this work that God decided by Himself, not by any merit of our own, or not any reason, not any way that we deserved it, but by His own desire and by His own will, by the counsel of His own will, He decided to work, to overturn, to, over, uh, to, to, to reverse the effects of our sin. And so He moves us, His chosen people, from wrath, to righteousness. He gives us the righteousness of Christ and places our sin and His wrath on Christ in our place. He's done these things. And now we're able to worship with Him because God is able to do these things. Because God is able. He is... He, he has the power. He has the ability. He has the capability to do these things. So that, that's really the point of this sermon. That's the the main point that I want to drive home all day today is God is able. What does that mean for us? Well, God is able, and it's this characteristic that sets Him apart from all other gods. Certainly, there are no other real gods. None. No, there's not another real God in existence, except for those that we create of our own. We talked about idolatry. We talked about uh, that last week a little bit as we as we looked at at the ways people uh, idolize our, our um, or have idolized things. People created statues, built temples. They they uh, went to high places and they they did all these things to worship gods that they had created of their own. We don't do that so much anymore today, but but we took and we we take things that are a little less. A little less weird to us. We we idolize our our movie stars. We idolize we we have television shows, American Idol, where there's one person that's going to be raised up is to be this 
amazing singer, and everybody's going to look to them. And, and we idolize things like football and basketball, and we gather in these big churches that we call arenas, and we worship and we cheer them on and we give our lives to these things and devote ourselves to them. That's how we know they're gods, because they take so much of our effort, they take so much of our devotion, they take so much of our thought. See, we make them gods. And some of our gods are a little less tangible. Some of our gods are, are emotions. Like, uh, I just want to know that I, I have control. They're, they're, they're motives that come out of our heart. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care about anything else as long as people will just approve of me. I'm going to do things to make people like me. And so I devote my life to finding approval. I devote my life to having power over others. Or I devote my life to to feeling comfortable and I, I, I garner all my resources and I direct all my capability and all of my own ability to try to make myself comfortable and I build a kingdom of my own that I can hide from the world in with nice fluffy couches and a big screen television surround sound and a bank account that tells me if trouble comes, I can take care of it. If difficulty arises, I got enough. But there's never enough, is there? We're always in pursuit of more. But all of these false gods, all of these little G gods, can't make the claim that our God can make. They have no real power. There's only one God that has this ability. Paul, Paul comes to this point in his letter. He comes to this place in his letter and he says, to him who is able, to him who has power, to him who can actually act and affect our creation. There is no other God that can make this claim, that, can, that this claim can be made about. It's interesting and all the things that we write, that, that we build up and and um, and try to and 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 try to assume that we've done something that we have some capability or some power, even those things, even those things that might seemingly point to us, really point back to God, because He's our Creator. Just last year uh, at spring break, my family, Amy, Cameron, and Tristan, and I were able to go to Chicago. It was really cool to walk around on the sky deck. I'd never been able to, I'd been to Chicago before, but the day I was there, it was cloudy and I couldn't, you couldn't have seen anything. So we didn't even spend the money to go up on the, to go up in Sears Tower at that point. Now it's Willis Tower. Well, we went up in Willis Tower and we looked out of the sky deck and we looked around. It's amazing. It is absolutely awe-inspiring to look down on what man has done, to look at, at at the city and to think, what did it take to build that? How many resources, how much time, how much effort, how much, how much power? And not just create it, not just bring it into being, not just stack it up on top of itself, but to maintain it. That's a 24-hour, 7-day-a-week, 365-day-a-year job. There's millions of people running around there. Not, it's, it's really one of the cleanest cities I've ever been in. It's crazy to look at and just to, to, to think what man has done there. But you know what really struck me as I stood there looking out of the sky deck? I, I snapped a picture and I was moved. And it wasn't moved because man had done something, but because God had given man an ability to do this thing. You see, even our best efforts, even the best things that we can accomplish, even the greatest things that we can set forth, 
All of these things eventually bring us to this place where we have to ultimately recognize that we are only able to do this because God is able. That's what, that's what our whole life exists from and now is able to exist for. So God, while our ability ultimately credits God and demonstrates His ability, God doesn't need us to prove His ability. He doesn't need you and me to do that. He's been doing that all along. In fact, from the very beginning, let's just, let's just look and just walk through His Word just a little bit. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. Did He need you and me to do that? Where were you when He did that? God created, and as the story goes, and it doesn't really matter if you're a young earther or an old earther. I'm a young earth. I really believe in the seven literal days of creation. I, not, I know not old, everybody is. It doesn't matter whether you're young earth or old earth. The fact is, is that both agree that out of nothing, God created. Out of nothing. So that what that means is that at one point, there was nothing except for God. And he says, let there be, and something comes into being. That's huge. Who has that capability? Who has that ability? He takes he takes nothing and he, he brings something into existence and then he brings it to order and, and, and it's intricate. I mean, look around you. Walk around in the creation for just a second. Watch the sun come up and the and the moon go through its course throughout the month and, and watch the stars in the sky and, and look at how the animals work within the seasons and how crops come up and go down. This is intricate. It's amazing that we don't burn up or that we don't freeze, but we're placed at this specific place in which this planet could pr- uh, produce and preserve this life. It's amazing. He brought order and then He brings the living creatures that, that creep along the ground and He put our birds in the air and He put fish in the sea. And then He says, I'm going to create a, a man in my image. I'm going to create them, man and woman. Study yourself for just a moment. The moving pieces, the intricacies of the human body, the ability to think and to reason, to feel emotion, to be able to determine a course for life, to make a choice beyond what, 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 I, well, I'm, I'm not hungry. I don't have to go to the bathroom. I want to watch the television. I, I can choose to do that. And it's not some it's not some animalistic desire. I just just think about the physics of your body, the the eyeball, the the just what it takes for you to be able to see. Now we get to see in three D and color. I mean, we're struggling to do that with movies. We've been doing it in real life all along. In the beginning, God created. God is able. God is able. It says in, in, in Exodus 14.21, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And, and don't, don't, don't mistake this. Moses stretches his hand out over the sea. And the Lord drove back the sea by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. Moses certainly played a part as God's messenger, as God's leader. But God did the work. God exerted the power. God made the sea part. And don't think that they were there because Moses was some great leader either. 
If you read the story, God had His hand all over them leaving Egypt. You see, the Pharaoh didn't want to let him go. Moses, and if you've watched the movie, uh, the cartoon, I don't remember the name of it even now, but the Prince of Egypt, I think it is. You know, Moses in the cartoon, Pharaoh, let my people go! And he makes these big proclamations. I remember that watching that when the boys were little. They don't, they don't like cartoons anymore. I don't know what happened, but it was this big moment in the movie. Big moment in the movie, and, and you know, Pharaoh's like, I'm not going to let him go. A couple times he says, yeah, I'll let you go, but then he changes his mind, and God brings ten plagues, and the worst, the worst of them is the, the death of the firstborn of, of Egypt, and it, it's horrendous. It's horrible. It's this horrible moment when Pharaoh and the, and the nation of Israel is confronted with the wrath and power of God against their rebellion. God is able. But Israel, His chosen people, who He had determined He was going to bless, who He was going to deliver, is let go. And and when Pharaoh lets them go, when the Egyptians let them go, they don't just send them on their way, get out of here because we're going to die if you don't. They, They say, go and take our stuff with you. And they loaded them down with wealth. And they left rich. And they walked out of Egypt. But along the way, Pharaoh, oh, wait, wait a minute. Pharaoh changes his mind. And actually in the verse, if you go back and read the story, in the verse where it says Pharaoh changes his mind, immediately it says God hardened his heart. These two things work together. See, God is all over this. So here the Israelites are. They're at the edge of the Red Sea. And Pharaoh is closing in. And I'm I'm, I'm imagining they can see the dust rising up in the desert behind them. What are we going to do, Moses? What's going to happen? Moses prays. God says, Moses, go out. Step into the... Step in the water, cast your arm out. Moses does it, though, and and the sea parts. And they walk across on dry ground. But what happens next is even even crazier. Because as they're going along and they're having no problems crossing, as soon as the Egyptians step into the the sea, as soon as they step into the the place where the the, uh, uh, Israelites have just gone through, their wheels on their chariots start caking up and they start getting stuck in the mud. The Israelites are walking across without any issue. But they're being bogged down in the mud. God is able. And the last Israelite steps out of the water. I don't know exactly how long it took. I don't know exactly what it looks like. But before an Egyptian makes it across, the sea closes in. God is able. He delivered His people against all odds. Against every, every force that could be known. And, and, and Egypt was no small force in that day. They were the ones. They were, they were the empire of empires at that time, at least in their own eyes. But God is able. And God delivered. You see, it doesn't stop there. The stories go on and they just continue in 1 Kings 18.38. One of my favorites is God demonstrates His capability against the false gods. Elijah has stepped out in front of the people of Israel and he has prayed. And it says in 1838, Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. You get that? The fire consumed, not just the animal, not just the bull, not just the burnt offering. It consumed the wood, it consumed the stones, and it consumed the dust. I mean, this, this, this is such power. This is so, so intense. There was nothing left. And it licked up the water that was in the trench 
The, the thing is, is here at God's command, Elijah had stepped out on faith. God, God had said, Elijah, go and do this thing. And he goes to Ahab, who is the king. He's an evil king. He's, at that point, he was the most evil king to have ruled. And he's, he's, in, he's encouraging the Israelites to worship Baal and to worship uh, Asherah. Not worship God. God's chosen people, the ones he has delivered, and now he has a king in place that's leading his people away from him. And God sends Elijah, his prophet, and he says, go and call them to, call them to this mountain, and, and I'm going to do this thing. And so Elijah goes to Ahab, and he says, get all of Israel and all of the prophets. There's like 850, I think it was 400 of Baal and 450 of Asherah. And he says, get them all and bring them to this place. And we're going we're gonna to let God demonstrate to you that he is able and so these false prophets, they, they show up and all of Israel's there to watch. These false prophets show up and they each get their, they each get their altar. They each get the ditch dug and they put water in the trench and, and they each get, and get their, their, their offering, their sacrifice to the bull. And, and, and the prophets of Asherah and the, and the prophets of Baal begin to dance around and cry out to their false gods. And they cut themselves and they go through, they go through all day they go at, at this and it's all day long they're after it and they're just trying to get their false gods to respond. And it's funny because at one point Elijah says, maybe they're out relieving themselves. Maybe your God's gone to the bathroom. That's pretty funny, right? I mean, he's taunting them because he knows that God is able. With great confidence, Elijah steps out. And he doesn't, doesn't dance around, doesn't cut himself, doesn't put on a show because it's not about him. He just says, God, do this. Right, there's a few more words than that. You can go back and read the story if you want. Do it. And the fire of God fell from heaven and it consumed everything there. See, God proved in that moment that he's able and that he's the only one able. There is no other God able. But it's not just the Old Testament. The New Testament. And you know, and you know today, even today as you sit here, it's the teachings in the New Testament that, that prove that God is able. Jesus is birth. God is able. I mean, this, this, this divine being, this God who has always lived, who was in the beginning who nothing was created without. This God took on a new nature, put on flesh, and dwelt among us. He came as a baby. A virgin gave birth. That doesn't just happen. You, you remember, if you've been here, we've talked about this. That doesn't just happen. We won't go into detail. One of my most embarrassing moments as a preacher was that moment. Go find the podcast. It's out there. Bad. A virgin gave birth. That's a big deal. Enough said. Jesus, as he lived on the earth, as he walked the ground, he commanded the weather to obey. He cast out demons. He made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the, the lame to walk. On at least three occasions, and we, there may have been more, there's three recorded, he raises dead people from death. I mean, they were dead. He raises them back to life on His command. Maybe the most spectacular event, maybe the most spectacular moment was when everybody thought He was done and it was over. No one stood outside of His grave and said, Jesus, come out. But by 
his power, by the power of God, he rose from the grave. And he's alive today. If you ever wonder, if you're ever in doubt, if you're ever struggling, if you're ever thinking, can't he do it? Remember Jesus. God is able. Jesus' apostles, after ascending into heaven, the Spirit comes down. Jesus tells them to wait. Spirit comes down, and, and when the Spirit comes down, it gives them power to work miracles. And the story goes, I mean, people, people were so amazed by this. People were in such awe of this that people would bring their sick and they'd lay them out in the street so that, that, that just Peter's shadow would fall on them and they would be healed. Paul was, was, a, was, was a man that God worked great miracles through and people would take handkerchiefs and, and aprons and they would wipe them on him and they'd take them to their sick and they'd wipe them and let them touch them and they would be healed. There was such power, such ability there. But it wasn't Paul's, it wasn't Peter's, it belonged to God. Even now, even now you can hear story of God's power. It's unfortunate, I think it's terrible, it's terribly unfortunate that we have a bunch of wing, just a bunch of whack jobs that attach themselves to the miraculous power of God for selfish reasons. And so when we start talking about it, we feel weird because only weirdos are out there healing people. Man, I just I was just having a conversation. There's just about a month and a half ago with a man named Rick Hedger. He's part of the Missouri Baptist Convention, and and he uh, he coordinates uh, mission trips and mission partnerships around the world with churches from Missouri. And he was telling me of a of a church here in Missouri that's working in Senegal with us. And this is how the conversation started. Is how I'm having the conversation at all is is that we're working in Senegal and, and he's got partnerships that he's created in Senegal and he's, he's in Senegal a lot. And so here we are having this conversation. I'm telling him of the great things we're seeing God do. He said, man, I, I want, let me tell you about this. In a church here in Missouri, I wish I could remember the name of it. I can't. But they've got a partnership in Senegal and they're going regularly into these villages in Senegal. And, and one of the, one of the uh, families brought out a child, a little boy who's, who's lame. His leg was all twisted and mangled and it's just always been that way. It didn't form right after he was... Uh, in, in even in the womb, I'm, I'm guessing if I remember the story right. But, but the church, the people that were there, decided, you know what? We're going to pray that God would heal this child. And they said before their very eyes that that leg straightened out and that child was healed. And if I didn't know Rick Hedger to be a man of integrity, I would struggle with that story. But even if I struggle with Rick Hedger's integrity, God has proven to me and shown me time and time again that regardless of the weirdness or the discomfort that it causes within me or the, uh, the, the, the lack of ability for my mind to wrap around it, He is able. And we should expect it to happen. We should long for it to happen. We should be asking for these kinds of things to happen. But maybe you're not seeing kids' limbs being healed and, 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 and physical healings that way. But, but the sun rising, the seasons passing, the, us continuing to take in breath every moment that we walk this earth, every step, every, every ability to have hope, every chance of real joy is evidence of God's ability to do work in spite of us. God is able. Every time someone hears the gospel, I want you to think about this woman that Brent shared about a minute ago. He says, he says we saw someone baptized. That person had heard and responded uh, a few months ago to the gospel. And while they were there, they saw a woman profess faith. 
Do you realize what's happening in that moment for that to happen? These people have been raised Muslims. Jesus is simply a prophet. He's just a good teacher. He's not the Savior. This is huge because as soon as they make this profession, they're setting themselves apart from their family, their culture, everything that they've always known. And when a person comes to this place, it's evident. It's evidence that God is able and that He is still working. I just wonder. I wonder if the reason we struggle, the reason we struggle with God's ability and trusting in God's power. I, I wonder why why it is that, that we that, that we we're all about hearing of miraculous things happening overseas, but we don't we don't exercise the same faith or don't struggle or strive to see them happening here. I, I wonder why it is it's so easy for us to go to such lengths to share the gospel overseas, but it's difficult to share it here. I wonder why it is so so easy for us to expect missionaries to go and to do, and and us to, it's difficult for us to take on the role of as a, as a missionary here. See, as I wonder those things, I come to this passage and I think maybe maybe it's because we don't think God is able. Is it possible that maybe we don't see God do big things because we don't act in big faith? Is it possible, as we're sitting here, having come out of a Christmas celebration and ready to move on to the new year and the new us, is it possible that the best thing we could do in this moment is just stop And remember that God is able. That His power is real. And it affects great change. And that as He has called us to follow Him, He has not left us to fight it out on our our own. That He is going before us, splitting seas and allowing us to walk through on dry ground, giving us power to prove His glory. And maybe the reason we're not seeing it is because we're not walking in that faith to see it. You see, I'm not saying that we're limiting God's power. Maybe His power is all around us. Maybe it's all working, but we're not recognizing it because we're not believing it. We're just sitting here, well, you know, i got to figure out how to pay my bills, so I'm not going to give to God's mission. I, I, I really want a big screen TV, so I won't go on a mission trip this year. Oh, the PS4 just came out. I got, I, I'll have that. But I'm not going to make sure that a missionary in a church is planted in a foreign country. Or a church even here. Or the mission that he's given us to do is supportive. Oh, i got a retirement to plan for. i, I got to be ready. When I'm, when I'm 55, I'm done. I'm going to coast after that plan to be a millionaire by then, if you're wondering. Probably not going to happen. You know, I'd rather see my kids play soccer, baseball, football. What else do they play? Basketball. I'd rather make sure that they're playing four or five instruments than taking them to do ministry in the name of Jesus. I'd rather make sure that all of my time is taken up just making my kids my God. I'd rather make sure that they just know how much I love them. 
you know, you might strive loving them by letting them be a part of the work you're doing with Jesus. That's really loving them. I spend all my time at work. God's given me this great opportunity, these great abilities. Just spending all my time and my energy there. I just don't have an ounce of energy left when I get home. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that He's given you a job and He's given you abilities to do at that job, but how about you go to that job and think less about your future, less about your standing in the company, and more about His glory among the people there. How, how different would it be if, if you went to work trusting in God's power in His capability and His ability to bring glory to Himself through you? What, 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 what would look different if you walked into your office or your place of business, that, that place you work, what would look different if you walked in tomorrow for God's glory rather than a paycheck? How different would it be? You see, I think we're missing it. We, we miss out on it. And it's reserved for those moments where we, where we go across the world and we see God do big things in this week of time that we're on a mission trip. But I think He's intending us to see it all year long as we step out in faith for His glory. The promise is, the promise is, He will not fail. See, here's the thing, is you pursue a paycheck, you pursue a promotion, you pursue your, your kids, and you pursue some relationship, you might fail. But if you are pursuing God's glory, He won't. You won't be disappointed. He's not going to leave you hanging. Oh, he may not show up exactly how you expect him to or how you demand him to, but remember, he's God. And remember that God is able. See, he's got the power to do this. He doesn't just have the power, he has the desire. But, but I, think, I think this is interesting because we're just going to get to, to one, more, one more piece of this. And I think it's interesting because Paul doesn't just tell us that he's able. He doesn't just say, oh, a guy is able. But what's he say? He says that God is able to do what? More? No, not just... God's, not, God's able to do more, but He's able to do more than that. He's able to do far more. Oh, but He's able to do more than that. He's able to do far more abundantly than we could ask or think. God is able to do more than we could even imagine. He is not limited by our lack of faith or our lack of understanding. His ability exceeds that. How do we get to where we believe that? How do we get to where we can take those steps? I mean, how does a, how does a, how does a person go from, from believing in Jesus, being willing to set aside thousands of dollars to go on a mission trip because, of his, because you want to hear, we want people to hear about Jesus? How does a person get to that? How does a person get to a place where they set aside the pursuits of life for the pursuit of God's glory? How do they get to that? I think faith, that kind of faith, it, it starts with knowledge. But it grows through experience. You see, it's easy for me to stand in front of you and share stories from the Bible. It's easy. I, I didn't have to do a thing except compile them and put them on a PowerPoint, that's pretty easy. It's different to step out on faith 
and do this work. I was actually talking to a guy this this over the holiday. His name is Steve. Steve is a guy who has always been supportive and praying for us and been been encouraging in in our friendship. I mean, he has always been behind us as we stepped out to plant this church. When we planted this church and there was five people in a living room, and the church that I was at said, go, do this work. Please, we see it in you. Yes, we'll be praying for you. Oh, we've got no money for you. We don't really want you to take our people. But go, do this work. Yeah, please, go do it. When we saw this church start with nothing, that takes some serious, I mean, I'm either stupid or I believe Jesus. It's probably a little bit of both, just to be honest. I don't want to give myself, I don't want you to think I got too much credit here. But what we've seen him do all along the way, how we've seen him provide, how we've seen him show up, and how we've seen him change lives and save marriages and save people and, and, and teach our children, and, and how we're seeing him refocus people's attention from what is religious in this world to what is central, his gospel message and his gospel mission. What we're seeing him do is amazing, it's miraculous. But how is it that we step out to do this? You see, now, as we've stepped out and God shows up, our faith has grown. That faith may start with knowledge, but it will grow with experience. And I, I just want to tell you that as we look into this new year, as we remember the, the Savior's coming, the Savior walking on the earth, the Savior dying for our, for our sins in our place, and His resurrection that provides us life this year as we move into this season, we're not going to flee from the celebration of Christmas, we're going to bring that with us so that we are reminded that God is able. And then I'm going to challenge you this week and next week, next week is going to get a little more specific, that you set aside your pursuits and you pursue His fame. That you strive to live a life that exalts Jesus first. That He would be glorified. My promise to you is not really guaranteed by me, but is guaranteed by God's Word. It's what He wants. It's what He longs for you to do. My promise to you is that He'll show up and He'll do what He's going to do. He's not going to fail you. You won't be disappointed. Because God is able. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You for today. Your goodness and Your grace. Your mercy on us.